John 19. John chapter 19. If you found that, would you say word? Verse 1. Then Pilate therefore took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers plaited a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put on him a purple robe and said, Hail, King of the Jews. And they smote him with their hands. Pilate therefore went forth again and saith unto them, Behold, I bring him forth to you, that you may know that I find no fault in him. Then came Jesus forth wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate saith unto them, Behold the man. When the chief priests, therefore, and officers saw him, they cried out, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Take ye him and crucify him, for I find no fault in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and by our law he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he was the more afraid, and went again unto the judgment hall, and saith unto Jesus, Whence art thou? Which is, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. Then saith Pilate unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest thou not that I have the power to crucify thee, and have power to release thee? Jesus answered, Thou couldst have no power at all against me, except it were given thee from above. Therefore he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. And from thenceforth Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh himself a king speaketh against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement, but in the Hebrew, Gabbatha. And it was the preparation of the Passover and about the sixth hour. And he saith unto the Jews, Behold your king. But they cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. Then delivered he him therefore unto them to be crucified, and they took Jesus and led him away. Verse 17. And he bearing his cross went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha where they crucified him and two other with him on either side one and Jesus in the midst. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross and the writing was Jesus of Nazareth, 
the king of the Jews. This title then read, Many of the Jews. For the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city, and it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. Then said the chief priests of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. Then the soldiers, when they had crucified Jesus, took his garments and made four parts to every soldier apart, and also his coat. Now the coat was without seam, woven from the top throughout. They said, therefore, among themselves, Let us not rend it, but cast lots for it, whose it shall be, that the scripture might be fulfilled, which saith, They parted my clothing among them, and for my vesture they did cast lots. These things, therefore, the soldiers did. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother, and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by, whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then, he, then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her into his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was a set of vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. The Jews therefore, because it was the preparation that the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath day was in high day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. Then came the soldiers and brake the legs of the first and of the other which was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they broke not his legs. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came there out blood and water. And he that saw it bear record, and his record is true. And he knoweth that he saith true, that you might believe. For these things were done, that the scripture might be fulfilled, a bone of him shall not be broken. And again another scripture says, they shall look on him whom they pierced. And after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him leave. He came therefore and took the body of Jesus. And there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night, and brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. Then took they the body of Jesus, and wound it in linen clothes with the spices, as the manner of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new sepulcher, wherein was never man yet laid. There laid they Jesus, therefore, because of the Jews' preparation day, for the sepulcher was nigh at hand. I want to dive right into the text this morning. The first thing I want you to notice in this chapter is the plight of Pilate. The plight of Pilate. We talked about this last week, but Pilate, this Roman governor who had already had issues with these Jewish people, 
is now at another crossroads, another issue, another situation. It's not ideal for him. And he has what he believes, is, and he's right, that he has an innocent man before him, and yet he has a crowd of people who are saying, we want that man to die. So what does Pilate do here? Does he do the right thing from a human standpoint and release an innocent man, or does he cower to the crowd's demands? Well, we know what happens. We just read it. But let's look closely at a few things that happened first. First, notice in verses 1 through 5, especially verse 1, Pilate took Jesus and had him scourged or flogged. The way we would think about this is to be whipped. And I'm going to say more about this later, but uh, what we do know about this, the custom of the day was to take this whip with many leather straps hanging off of it, and it wasn't just like we imagine like an Indiana Jones whip, right? It would be multiple straps of leather, and this leather would have other stuff on it we'll talk about later. Um, usually, uh, like pieces of metal or bone would, were tied to the end of it, and so when the person was whipped, it would do great, great damage. Um, the criminal in this case would typically be stripped of his clothes, tied to a pole or a post, and whipped. Now, Pilate did this to Jesus um, in a way that would be very severe, would be very severe. So after Jesus is therefore whipped in this way, verse 2 tells us the soldiers get a hold of him, and they take this crown of thorns, and these thorns were not like little rosebush thorns you might see. You know, these were, everything I've studied says these were large thorns that they made this crown and pressed it down on his head uh, so that... Um, it would certainly inflict much pain. But we know that also, according to verse 2, they were mocking him, right? Because they were mocking him as being king of the Jews. So they put this crown of thorns on him. They take a purple robe, which purple signified royalty in those days. It was expensive to make purple clothing and to use that, that kind of dye. And so they put the purple on him. They begin in verse 3 to say, Hail, king of the Jews, in a mocking way. And then verse 3 also tells us they, they struck him. They hit him. I've read some that say likely striking him in the head where he already has a crown of thorns pressed into his temple, into his head, making it even worse. I like what Spurgeon said about these verses. He said, if only we were half as invested in honoring Jesus as king as these men were in dishonoring him as king. May we be invested in honoring Christ. So Pilate whips Jesus, allows these soldiers to mock him and continue to torture him. But then I want you to notice, and I won't read all these verses again, but in verses 4 and 5, Pilate tries to appease the people. You see, I believe this is why he had Jesus whipped, was so that he could bring Jesus back out before the people and say, look, I punished him, it's enough, let's let him go. Because he, he look at verse 4, he says that. I brought, I'm bringing him back to you. I, I find no guilt. Behold the man, he says in verse 5, behold him. But we know what happened. The people would not relent of their desires. Even when he tries to release him, in verses 6, 12, and 15 of this chapter, it, it looks like Pilate is trying to release Jesus and over and over again, they do not relent. I want you to notice something interesting in verses 7 and 8. 
I'm sorry, verses 9 through 11. They, they tried to say, he made himself God, he blasphemed. That's what the Jewish people are saying to Pilate. And Pilate honestly doesn't care that much about that. Pilate doesn't care that much about their theology, right? Um, but something here makes him a little concerned. So in verses 7 and 8, he, he's concerned. He goes back to Jesus in verse 9 and says, where are you from? And, and many scholars say right here that Pilate might be thinking, I better check this guy out. What if he really is who he says he is? I need to go find out more information. And so Pilate goes back, and of course Jesus refuses to speak. And Pilate says, don't you know who I am? I have the power, I have the authority to release you or to crucify you. And in verse 11, Jesus looks at him and says, you have no power unless it's given to you from above. Reminding us that the suffering of Christ, even the death of Christ, was the ultimate plan of God. We discussed this Wednesday night with our small group crowd. Who killed Jesus? Pilate played a role. The Jewish crowds played a role. The Roman soldiers played a role. Judas Iscariot played a role. But two things. Jesus said, no one takes my life. I lay it down on my own. And Acts tells us that it was the foreordained plan of God to send his son to die for sinners. Just a little reminder, and think about this. Jesus is there, bloody from head to toe, with a crown of thorns, a purple robe, not really saying much. And he looks at Pilate, and he says, you don't have the power you think you do. My father has the power. So as we continue to read here, I, again, I, I think Pilate does not see Jesus as a threat. We read not in this account, but in Matthew's account, that Pilate washes his hands and says, I'm innocent of this man's blood. But we see just the plight, the, the struggle that Pilate had. He did not see Jesus as guilty. He did not see Jesus as a threat. I really think he wanted to release him based on the text here. But this mob of people worried him so that he turned Jesus over to them, according to verse 16. Jesus was rejected by the people, condemned by this judge, which is Pilate in this case, and he was sentenced to a painful death. So here we see Pilate's plight. He chose what was expedient over what was right. second thing I want you to notice in today's message is the depravity of man. Now we could talk about Judas again, which we've talked about him a lot this past year. We could talk about Pilate. We've, we've talked about him a lot the last couple of weeks. But I want you to think about these soldiers. These soldiers who, of course, these are Roman soldiers who do not care about um, the religion of Christ. Right? They don't care about the, the religion of the Jews. They do not care about these things. They're just following orders and taking liberty to enjoy their, their actions when they do these things to Christ. Uh, I remember reading this years ago, and I haven't been able to find it since. I don't know where I read this, what book or what study, but it was a, a cultural study of the day of Jesus, and it said that kids would play a game called the king. And it was some type of kid's game, children's game, where you would put on a crown, put on a robe, and the other kids would kneel before you and say, Hail, king, king, and it was just a children's game. And that writer, again, I don't know who it was, that writer said that these grown men may have been mocking Jesus by playing a game they played as children. So think about the depravity 
of that. Think about the depravity of the Jewish crowds who, who have seen Jesus bloody and, and whipped and tortured. And you think they might be sympathetic and say, well, he's been, he's, he's been put through enough, let's release him. But as you read it here, you can go back and look, multiple times they say, no, crucify him. They were hell-bent on the death of Christ, weren't they? They were. So they pressured Pilate. They continued to pressure him. So in verses 12 and 13, they actually appeal to something he might care about. I told you he didn't care about their theological arguments. So they say, if you, if you let Jesus go, if you let this guy go, then you're no friend of Caesar. So they appeal to more of his, his political stuff, and that certainly uh, appealed to Pilate. And so these Jewish religious leaders hated Jesus Christ. They did not believe he was the Son of God. He upset their status quo religious tradition. I'm going to make an application point here. Sometimes, even in our day, people might upset our status quo religious tradition. And sometimes they might be right. Sometimes they might be wrong. But it's okay if you're trying to conform to the Word of God to have things that you've always thought were true to be questioned or examined. But these people were so angry about it. You could not reason with them, could you? They could not be reasoned with. There is no clearer picture of the sinfulness of sin and the depravity, depravity of man that when those who claim to worship God call for his son to be killed. Some of these guys were priests, and they're rejecting the great high priest. They were excited to celebrate the Passover here, and yet they're about to slay the Passover lamb, the lamb of God. Church, at our very core, we are ruined by sin, rejectors of God, and until God does a saving work in us, bringing us to himself, showing us the truth of the gospel, we are lost and undone and depraved. Do you hear the depravity of man? Listen to the crowds cry, crucify, crucify him. Number three. A third thing I want you to notice very quickly in this one is the fulfillment of Scripture. At least four times, and I would actually argue there's more than this, John says, as according to Scripture, our Scripture says, to fulfill Scripture. And we read those in our Psalm 22 reading earlier in the service about Jesus' garments being casted lots for. That's from Psalm 22. Jesus saying, I thirst, Psalm 22. Not one of his bones shall be broken. Remember, they broke the bones of the other thieves. They broke their legs to make, to make sure they were dead. With Jesus, uh, they, they knew he was dead. They stabbed him to make sure in the side. They pierced his side, which is also in Psalm 22. They looked on him whom they have pierced. And just to simply make this point, as John tells us this, the death of Christ was not something that happened haphazardly, not something that was not organized by God. God always planned, before the foundation of the world, a plan to save sinners by sending Christ. Number four, quickly here on this one as well, notice the care of Mary. Um, that We see this in verses 25 through 27. As Jesus is on the cross, he sees his mother there. And can you imagine... Mothers in the room, the, the pain and suffering that she experienced as she watched her son there on the cross. 
Jesus looks down and very affectionately says, woman, which if I said woman to a lady now, it wouldn't go as good, but the way Jesus said it was a, a term of endearment. It was, a, it was a good thing. We might read that wrong sometimes, but he said, behold your son, and he looked at John and said, behold your mother, and he basically entrusted her care. I love that idea that in his final moments, as he was taking the sin for us, he still took care of an earthly thing. I'm going to take care of my, my mother here. And John even tells us in verse 27, from that day, he cared for her. I want you to notice a fifth thing, and this is where I want to spend the majority of our time. Notice, fifthly, the suffering of Christ. Now, you won't see everything in this chapter that you know because Matthew, Mark, and Luke give us other things that John doesn't give us, and the Gospels do that. Like, for example, we know there were seven statements of Christ on the cross. John only gives us three statements of Christ on the cross. And you can look through there and see which ones that you can remember that, that may be left out. But to get a full understanding of his suffering, you certainly need to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and all their accounts. But I want to say this to us. We can read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John every day for the rest of our lives. We can study all the theology books of all time. We can listen to medical reports about what happened in crucifixions in Jesus' day. We can watch movies that portray the death of Christ. But I don't believe anything we can say and do can ever truly show us the suffering that Christ experienced. We try, and it's our job to read it and preach it and present it. But I feel so inadequate that I, about what I'm saying about the suffering of Christ. Let's talk about this quickly. Again, I mentioned the whipping of Christ. And in that day, the Romans would do something like this. If you committed a minor offense, you might experience a minor scourging, minor whipping. And then there were like a second level offenders who had a pretty severe whooping with the whip. Then there was a third level, which was for the worst criminals. This was for those who they know were going to die. And so they would whip them so severely as to make their death come quicker. Oftentimes, I've read that criminals would actually die during the whipping. This was not like a minor thing that Jesus experienced. In all likelihood, skin and other things were showing and ripping from his body. An awful act. Again, I mentioned the crown of thorns piercing his head. The mocking of the soldiers. The being slapped and beaten again, hit by the soldiers. How about the shame of Pilate bringing him out, displaying him before the people? Condemned. Verse 17 tells us, and this was also what they did in those days, the criminal would carry his cross. Now, if you've ever seen like movies or portrayals of this, you, you picture a, a real, a full cross. Um, what they would do, though, is the vertical beam would actually be at the place where it would be in the ground. Someone would go ahead and set the vertical beams up. And so what Jesus was carrying uh, was a cross beam, the, the horizontal piece. And... We know Jesus was so injured, another place tells us that he couldn't even carry it, right? A man named Simon of Cyrene was made to help Jesus carry it there. Once Jesus reached Golgotha, he would be laid down, laid down on that cross beam, nailed to the beam, 
And there's always debates, right, about his, was it his wrist or his palm? He was nailed to this piece of wood. Once being nailed, he would be lifted up and the cross beam connected to the vertical beam. And Romans were good at cruelty. And so as you hung there and needing to pull yourself up just to breathe, as you, as you suffocated, they would put a little wooden platform under your feet, enough to help you lift up to prolong your death so that you could take more breaths. So I want you to, if you can bear these words, and I know for us who, are, who love Jesus, this is not easy to bear. But he, he, the perfect son of God, hung on that cross in complete shame. They would not crucify people with their clothing on. He hung on that cross in agony and pain. Some have written and probably, possibly likely, that as Jesus hung there, he might have even been unrecognizable. Struggling to breathe. And as best I can tell from studying this week, he may have been on that cross for six hours. We can't imagine the physical suffering that he experienced. The worst thing we've ever been through cannot compare. But we also must say this. He was suffering a spiritual suffering as well. And what I mean by that is, as Christ suffered and died, he was taking on himself the sin of all those who would believe. You see, the wrath of God, which is poured out on sin even now in, in hell, the wrath that we deserve to be poured out on us was, in this moment, poured out on Christ. One of my favorite songs is called All I Have is Christ, and we've sang it here before. There's a little video that the, the church that made the song made with it, and the church shows a, a Christ on the cross and then it shows a person kneeling down like on this side and here's the cross and then it just gives this picture of fire kind of coming down from heaven in a sense and it's headed right for the person right but the, the cross completely absorbs that fire that wrath I think about that often when I think about God Christ took on himself the wrath we deserve. We deserve that wrath because of our sin. We deserve it. I deserved it. And yet Christ took it. What love he has for his people. Number six, the atonement of Christ for sinners. Now, we know from earliest in the Old Testament, early times in the Old Testament, animals would be sacrificed. In the Garden of Eden, after God had forgiven Adam and Eve, he covered them covered them with the skin of an animal, an early picture of that. We know that Passover lamb in Exodus, the lamb was killed, the blood was spread to save people. You've read Leviticus. It's not always the easiest book to read. You've read some of those Old Testament books like Leviticus that talk about the sin offerings. I was thinking about 
Leviticus 16, as I research this, when it talks about this goat offering, that would be the sin offering that would have to be carried outside the camp. They took it outside the camp to make this sacrifice. And it makes you wonder if these Jews, as they march Jesus outside of Jerusalem, are they thinking about that sin offering? Hebrews 3 tells us Jesus suffered and died outside the city gates in order to make his people holy by shedding his own blood. Look at verse 30 in John 19. These three words, we talk about a good bit, we sing about these a good bit, but Jesus said, it is finished. The Greek word here, tetelestai, uh, I've heard it pronounced multiple ways, and I've pronounced it different every time I say it. Um, I think I have that word up there for you, Kendall, so everybody can see the word. Tetelestai means it is finished. And so when you would go and pay off a debt, You'd pay off your debt, and they would give you a receipt in these days. This word would be written on there. When you would take that receipt, and when you saw that word, to tell us die, you would know, my debt has been paid in full. I owe nothing else. It is done. It is finished. It is complete. That's why we sing the song, right? Jesus paid it all. Jesus drank. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, Father, take this cup from me if, if it be your will. Jesus drank the full wrath, the full cup of God's wrath for us. That's what I want you to remember as we think about the atonement, which is what this is. The atonement is Christ in our place. Jesus died for us. We must understand this. He died, the just for the unjust. As we read in Isaiah 53 last week, he was bruised for our iniquities. By his stripes, we are healed. And as Paul wrote in Corinthians, God made him who knew no sin to become sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. All our sins for your grace. What a glorious exchange. The gospel in four words, Jesus in my place. Number seven. In verses 38 and following, we see the burial of Christ. Now, many times, criminals who had been crucified in this manner would be taken outside the city to this place called Gehenna. And it was really this, this burn pile that would be going all day, all night. And they would take all kind of stuff out there and burn, okay? And they would also take criminals who had no one claiming them and throw them on this pile as well. Gehenna, by the way, is a metaphor for hell. But two believers, as we read here in verse 38, Joseph, who was a follower of Christ, but he was on the Sanhedrin, so he, again, he was in a plight as well. He didn't know what to do. And it mentions Nicodemus as well, who we know was a follower of Christ, also on the Sanhedrin. These two men get Jesus, and they give him a dignified burial. They don't allow him to be just cast away. They take his body, they wrap it up, and they put him in a tomb. That leads us to number eight and our last point. If our Bible stopped at the end of chapter 19 of John, that would be a sad story, wouldn't it? 
So my eighth point is this. All hope is lost if our Bible ended at John 19. Because I put myself in the place of these disciples, of these ladies who are at the cross. And you have to think they are distraught, disheveled, depressed, scared, confused. He's supposed to be the king, and now he's in a tomb. And so from their point of view, and again, if we only knew this part of the story, from our point of view, it would be a very sad ending. It would not be a good Friday, would it? But what we all know is that next Sunday is coming. All right? When Jesus Christ, who they thought they killed, which they did, they thought they put him down, they did. They thought he would be away from them forever. But we know death could not hold him. And next week we will celebrate. Today we celebrate. We celebrate that in Christ our sin is forgiven. And next week together here we'll celebrate the risen Savior. That because he lives, we also live with him. To celebrate that today, we're going to partake of the Lord's Supper together. This is a blessing for us every time we do it. It's one of the ordinances of the church.